Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. Hello and welcome to Talking Tourism. I'm your host today, Amy Hills, and my day job is as the Director of Strategy, Government and Industry with Tourism Tasmania. Talking Tourism is the podcast series especially for tourism operators and professionals. It's an initiative of the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania, the peak industry body for tourism in our state. And today's episode is supported by the Tasmanian Government. It's all part of a series of podcasts being released every fortnight through COVID-19 to keep Tasmanian tourism operators up to date with the latest news and developments as they relate to our industry. And of course, the support and assistance being made available by the state and federal governments, as well as industry authorities. In today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with two operators, one on the larger scale and another perhaps a little smaller, about their experiences of preparing to reopen, what worked, what is working, what they're learning and their plans for the future. First up, I'm speaking with Andrew Painter, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Destinations RACT. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, Amy. Great to be with you. Lovely to have you. Now, I'm sure you're probably quite busy because we've just been talking off air and from today, I believe, the doors of your establishments are open. Am I right in saying that? That's exactly right, yes. We, we have been, uh, the business at Strawn continue to operate uh, producing food from a takeaway and delivery service proposition on the West Coast. Uh, the rest of the business has been in hibernation and uh, today we uh, have thrown open the doors for day one of uh, accommodation and uh, food and beverage. So the team's really excited about yeah. that. So you're joining me on, on quite a momentous day for your business then? Absolutely, yeah. No, to, uh, I actually put together a board report yesterday for the board and it put a bit of a smile on my face doing a... Uh, a summary of our businesses and putting some uh, some opening dates uh, next oh, to them, which is uh, yeah, a far cry from where we were, you know, ten or eleven weeks ago. Yeah, gee, look, it's been a journey, hasn't it? Um, instead of me reeling off all the sort of names and products that that come under your stable, for listeners who may not know, are you able to give a bit of a understanding to everyone about the products and experiences you offer under your, I guess, banner? Yeah, most certainly. I'll, I'll start on the west coast. So we've uh, literally got all of Strawn Village, uh, which is 142 rooms. We own the Hamer's Hotel around there, which is uh, a bar area and a dining area. We lease the bakery from Banjo's uh, and we've got a, a restaurant on the hill called View 42. So it's got a fair bit of sprawl at property and uh, very interesting and uh, diverse business. Uh, also on the West Coast, we've got the Gordon River Cruise operation, which is the new Spirit of the Wild, which is a 192-seat passenger vessel, which uh, runs the Gordon River on a uh, daily basis. And we've also got a smaller catamaran, which is 11 metres which is uh, called Sapphire, which does some uh, charter work and, and some other tours and experiences for guests, but that takes a maximum of 10 passengers. Up the road to Cradle Mountain, we've got the Cradle Mountain Hotel, which is 60 rooms plus bar, restaurant. Uh, we also run the cafe at the uh, newly developed visitor centre. And on site at the hotel, we've also got a wilderness gallery, uh, which is a great feature as well up there. On the east coast, we've got the recently, in 2018, redeveloped Freysnay Lodge, which is 70 rooms, including uh, nine high-end pavilions, which are really popular. 
uh, and that rounds out the business. Wow. Before COVID-19, approximately how many staff would you have had on the books? Uh, normally at peak season, we would have, about that time, we would have been at about 240 FTE, a yep. uh, number of part-timers, so probably pushing 250, 260 total staff. And what about your customer markets? Was it always a mix of intrastate, interstate and international? Did you sort of cater for, for all three? Absolutely. No, we didn't. Um, I mean, the, the issue we've got at the moment, which I'm sure you and I will probably talk about later, is the Victorian and New South Wales market was predominantly our, our biggest biggest contributor. Tasmanian market's always been about that, you know, 10 to 15% mm-hmm. only of our business. Okay. So with today's podcast, we're trying to look forward, but it's it's difficult to look forward without going back. Just just quickly, for you personally, as being a Chief Operating Officer, how has the last couple of months been for you? I mean, obviously you have had to lead the organisation through this. What have you come out with? What are your insights, your learnings, your feelings, yeah, well, I guess? It's a, it's a really good question. I mean, well, the overarching I mean, and even challenging is an understatement, but yeah. clearly uh, at that time, you know, 200 plus staff, it was really a, a people first approach. So we literally sat down with every single person and mapped out a plan as to what we could do. They were foremost in our mind as far as how we could look after our own team and preserve our own team so we could be, you know, as we all agreed as a management team, bigger, better and stronger on the other side, which is where we are now. So very challenging as as far as the people aspect. Clearly the JobKeeper component helped uh, and we're also fortunate enough to bring forward some maintenance programs, which we normally do in low season anyway. So the, the biggest challenge we had, about 50% of our staff had no access at all to either JobKeeper or job seeker, So they were on sort of visa arrangements. So that was really, well, highly problematic. And, and they were primarily our focus, you know, in that, in that first initial stage. What did you do? Because that, that certainly was a, a very big issue during those couple of weeks and months, wasn't it? That was, that was tough. It, it sure was, yes. So, I mean, the advantage we had being a regional provider, we provide accommodation for our staff anyway. Yeah. And normally that's at a, a small weekly fee, so we waived the fee. So, as a bare minimum, you know, they had something to eat, had a roof and a bed. So, to the vast majority, you know, that's been greatly appreciated and has got them through. Where we could, obviously, with these maintenance programs, uh, we brought forward and provided minimal hours to those that didn't get any other support, which... Again, you know, every little bit's helped, but I must say I'm just so proud of the team, the way everyone's stepped up and prepared to do work that's clearly not in their position descriptions um, just to get us through this period. So I think we've become, a you know, a, a more galvanised, stronger and a, and a stronger team at the end of it. I'm really interested in that comment you make around coming out of it as a stronger and more galvanised team. And obviously there'll be some people listening today that are just mum and dad operators or they do it with their partner. They're very small and others are larger like yourselves. But what do you think it was about COVID-19 that brought your team closer than ever before? I think just generally, and I'm, I mean, the aspect I'm so proud of that, we're all in it together. I know it's a bit of a, you know, throwaway catch cry at times, but I think, you know, if there was ever an example of that, 
um, from what I saw, it was, you know, getting through this as we're all in it together and everyone looking after one another and supporting one another, really. Do you reckon that'll pay dividends for you and your business through staff, I guess, loyalty and, I guess, commitment to the organisation in the future? It's something I called out to our board very early. I, I, I saw this as an opportunity to invest in our people further. My view has always been that if you can get the people component right, or 100% right, the rest will take care of itself. So, you know, that flows into guest experience and ultimately the outcomes that you're after is, uh, from a business perspective will flow. Mm. Um, so I think this is, I, I look at this now and, you know, fortunate to be able to look back now and knowing that uh, the future is a bit more positive than it was, but it, th- this was always going to be an opportunity for us that we had no control over. But, uh you know, working together to try and get the best possible outcome. And I think in most part we've achieved that. Mm. And I assume, as you say, hopefully the, the positives of that will flow through to the customer experience through staff that have felt that they've um, been part of a team during this time and maybe hopefully closely connected with the product. Yeah, absolutely. I think very much, you know, a bit of a wake-up call watershed moment. I think for, for people generally it's, uh, you know, I had this conversation fairly early when we went into it. You know, every all we could do at that stage was, you know, every day we wake up's one day close to coming out but it was really I think a bit of a reality check for a lot of people it's amazing as humans what we take for granted I think. Mm, Absolutely I think that's been the case for for so many of us. Okay so let's look forward then we're here today you're open you're open however for Tasmanians you've just talked about the fact that previously that's been 10 to 15 percent of your business what are you looking like? How are things shaping up so far for your businesses around the Tasmanian market? And then after that, I'd like us to explore a little bit more about how you might make more of an opportunity of the Tasmanian market. But if we if we start with, how are things looking, Andrew? A lot more positive than they were some time ago. So we, one of the things we did day one was our sales and marketing team worked on developing a marketing plan for uh, basically a three-stage. So we, I think everyone knew that it was going to be uh, intrastate market initially, then interstate, and then obviously the internationals probably, you know, a lot further down the track than that. So uh, we were well and truly prepared for the phase one gates to open. Um, we probably in a fortunate position where We've got 200,000 Tasmanians as members. Mm. So we put that forward, I think it was early May from memory, uh, an offer which was not unlike what we did previous year, albeit it was a lot later this year. So we normally provide a uh, an offer to our members in late March. So that was, a, was winter, a winter proposition, was it? It was, yeah. yes. Yep. And uh, you know, I'm pleased to say that, that you know the response was twofold what it was last year. So we were, uh, uh, that was absolutely fantastic. You know, year on year, if you look at rates as well, they're very similar to what we did last year. So I think it was about getting the basics right first. Clearly, there was always going to be a bit of pent-up demand. Mm. And I think, again, potentially we've got an advantage of not just having uh, 200,000 members but being uh, so well-positioned regionally. Clearly, the majority of the market's going to come from the metro areas, so yeah. to have the opportunity to go to a regional area and just uh, breathe some fresh air and unwind, I think clearly was very attractive to a lot of Tasmanians. 
How have you guys dealt with communicating around, you know, your safety and your compliance with COVID safe plans and things like that? Have you found that your customers are eager to know about that? I'm surprised at how little people have asked as far as the inquiry goes. I wonder if that's first. I wonder if that's a little bit because we sort of know that our cases are now sort of COVID free for the time being. I wonder if that's a little bit of of why. That's that could could well be. Mm. Certainly, to answer the first part of your question, we uh, obviously on. The the websites and there's information uh, that's handed over as part of your welcome package when you arrive at any of the properties. But it's an interesting one. I mean, clearly there's regulations, but, you know, as, as experienced providers, you potentially, you could go too far with it. So, you know, I've said to my team that we, you know, obviously adhering to the protocols is absolutely mandatory, but you know, instead of, uh, you know, having one or two signs, you don't want too much signage. I think mm. there's a real duty of care on our staff and our guests far as social distancing and the like goes as well. So if everyone plays their part, and, and to your point as well, the fact that uh, Touchwood, we haven't got any current cases, I think holds us in good stead. Andrew, you've obviously got a heavy component of food and, and beverage as well as accommodation. And, and when you've got so many people keen, say, at Freysenay to stay, but then you've got your numbers at food and beverage that you can only maintain to a certain level under the, the regulations, of course, we're moving to new ones on this coming Wednesday, which I'm sure will be welcome for you. How do you sort of marry all that up across the business? and make sure that everyone's aware of it and um, I guess manage it from a logistical perspective as well. Yeah, as part of the, uh, the the booking process, we'd let people know. But I mean, to answer your question, it was this time last week when I was actually at Cradle, it was very problematic, the 40. For the majority of July, as an example, we've pretty much got a full house at Cradle Mountain, which equates to about 160 guests, somewhere between 140 and 160. When that number was at 40, regardless of the floor space which we have, which could easily accommodate with the four-metre rule somewhere between 80 and 90, we are staring down the barrel of running four separate sittings for breakfast and dinner. Yeah. And that's really problematic when other providers on the mountain as well, Cradle Mountain, have got to look after their own in-house guests, you know, as a priority as well. So the opportunities to actually eat were next to nil unless someone got in the car in the middle of winter and drove to Sheffield, Devonport or Burnie, which again was... Uh, extremely problematic. So we were very relieved when that number was increased to 80 on Friday. What are your plans for, I guess, making the most out of the Tasmania market? We, we've just done a separate podcast with the Manager of Research and Insights, Alison Anderson, and she and the research is showing that Tasmanians, there's a, a healthy proportion of Tasmanians that will look to travel within Tasmania instead of going interstate or internationally this year. So there is an opportunity there, isn't there? Uh, yes, there is. Yes, ab- absolutely. I think, to, you know, to to the point you just raised, uh, you know, there, there will be a general reluctance. So I think from from a consumer perspective to jump on a plane or travel, you know, the West Coast is probably a perfect example where, you know, I think the, num- the numbers less than 10% of Tasmanians have been to the West Coast, yet th- those that haven't have experienced the Gordon River and other activities around there, I mean, you know, they've literally got no pier. I mean, you know, the fresh air, um, immerse yourself in the culture and history, you go a long way to replicate that. Absolutely. I'm itching to, to get back there. So so is that a, a matter of your, as you said, your sales and marketing team continuing to, I guess, look at what will speak to the Tasmanian market in terms of, you know, value add-ons, things to do, activities, those types of things? Absolutely. And, and social media is a, a, a very strong channel. I mean, you get uh, advocates and the like, you know, through your social media platforms and you know, that in itself generates volume. One thing we've done is a 
as an organisation to help Tasmanians generally is give every every Tasmanian that's not currently a member access to our rewards program. And a component of that is some discount on accommodation at each of our three properties as well. So I mean, that's only just been rolled out, but the traction there alone has been very pleasing so mm. far. And you're seeing early indications are that Tasmanians are responding to that type of thing? Yes, yeah, yeah. they most certainly are. Yeah. Look, you know, interstate borders, certainly the Premier has said that he'll make a, an announcement on that in July. You, you've obviously had to be planning for that. And, and what are some of the priorities there? Have you continued to stay in contact with your, with your existing customers and past customers in the interstate market? All the relationships uh, we've got, we've preserved and continue to update and the like. But we've also done a whole heap of work around personas, people that fall into certain categories that are attracted to certain products and services. So again, that's a that's a that's a key focus of the business as well for when that phase gate opens. Andrew, despite the challenges that we've had of, of the past three months, what's your outlook for your business and your industry into the, the future, knowing that, you know, it will be a hard road back? But I'm really interested to know what your thoughts and aspirations are. Yeah, I think um, having spoken to you even so far in the conversation, I, I think I've been fairly optimistic. But I, I mean, I'd be kidding myself uh, not to admit that we're very much in a danger zone at the moment, I think, mm. as you alluded to with one of your questions that there's only so much demand available from the Tasmanian market. Hopefully we get, uh, to your point, some news soon around interstate borders and in particular, as I said before, Victoria and New South Wales. But mm-hmm. there also needs to be a satisfactory level of demand. So I think it keeps me, it keeps me awake of a night. We, you know, we're okay for the next two to three months, but assuming what in the worst case scenario, depending on what the government do with JobKeeper, uh, interstate borders and then obviously the, the demand for Tasmanian products once the interstate borders opened up uh, was still very much mm. in, the, in the lap of the gods really there. So, And of course access, access is the other piece, isn't it, getting here? Correct. Yeah. Um, and the spirit of Tasmania may be very attractive now because people mm. don't need to get on a plane. So, yep. And we know that, that and that, that's a great market for us. So if I'm optimistic, you know, the spirit's full every day. Uh, bringing people in, people in cars who want to spend, uh, you know, w- weeks in Tasmania and experience everything Tassie's got to offer. Yeah, and and that's our collective job now, isn't it? Through planning for recovery and the T Twenty One process to, I guess, um, upturn every stone there and 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 make the mo- most of those markets, including through the TT line. So, Andrew, thank you for joining us today, especially on on a big day. It's been really lovely to to speak to you. When you know, it it is a step forward, um, as you've highlighted for the listeners. It's it's certainly not all the way there, and it's good to to have that sobering message as well. I think to keep it real. But well done on everything. You've done through leading uh, your organisation, and and yeah, look, good luck for this weekend as well, because I assume it's it's hopefully going to be a busy one for you. We're looking uh, really really good at uh, both Fraserna and Cradle. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gordon River Cruise operation doesn't come back online to early July, so um, obviously things still reasonably quiet on the west coast. But when the activities ramp up, I'm sure you know for, for us as accommodation providers and other operators in the area, hopefully um, once that happens, uh, everyone gets a bit of spring in their step. And hey, what about you? Are you able to pick your favourite holiday destination? Have you been out and done something yet or can you not pick between your babies? <laughs> I can't answer that. I've got, uh, <laughs> I've got, I've got you know, four children yes. and I, I love them equally, but 
I was fortunate enough after spending about 11 weeks at home to go to Fresno the week before last and then go to the West Coast and Cradle Mountain last oh, week. Oh, wow. Um, there you go. You've and done the was, rounds. Yeah, absolutely fantastic to get out. And I know all the Tasmanians that have already signed up to do something similar certainly won't regret it. It's just uh, they're all great parts of the world. There's no doubt about it. Best of luck. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Amy. I'm now talking with Tara Howe, the director of Blue Derby Pods Ride, and also a new director to the Tourism Industry Council of Tasmania board. Uh, Tara's just told me that she's looking forward to welcoming her first Tasmanian guest this coming weekend. Welcome, Tara. Thank you very much for having me. So for our listeners, can you take us through what your business is all about, what you offer? What can people expect when they turn up at your product? Oh, love to. Well, <laughs> um, everyone loves talking about their own business, I think. Absolutely. Um, so our business, Blue Day Pods Ride, is a luxury adventure mountain biking experience based up in northeast Tassie. And it's absolutely wonderful. And guests join us and they have their whole time with us laid on for them. So they have their food and their wine, the accommodation, their bikes, their guides, everything. And we make their time in Derby extra special in addition to staying some really a cool accommodation pods. Yeah, so that's that's what we do, which yeah. is amazing. And prior to the impact of COVID-19, where would you say your key visitor markets were from? Oh, I can tell you that exactly. <laughs> uh, yep. So 90% of ours came from uh, interstate, Yep. 5% uh, international and we're only two and a half years young so we hadn't done a huge amount over in, in international marketing we'd actually just started doing that so that's where it wasn't five percent Tasmanian. Wow yeah okay so that's really interesting isn't it so we find you know COVID-19 happens obviously that's well documented now um, and now our first market is Tasmanians so yeah. what has your thought process been how have you worked through that what did you do? Yeah. A huge thought process because you know those stats are the stats and yep. I don't think any business could say they could run on five percent of their clientele and that was definitely our thinking we we automatically knew that we needed to find a way to rejig our business to ensure we had a revenue stream if we were going to just have Tasmania's as our um, market for even a short period of time mm-hmm. you know because the business was shut down basically overnight and that meant no revenue for a period of time and we wanted to build as as soon as we could. So for us, we started thinking, you know, what can we do for Tasmanians? And in all honesty, we've always had an itch Mm. to to provide something just for Tasmanians because we feel like they have been such fantastic supporters of what we do from the start and we wanted to work on a way to almost reward them and so COVID gave us that opportunity and we have been brave enough to put a Tasmanian only accommodation only offering together Mm -hmm. which is basically Tasmanians can join us for the weekend um, on Friday and Saturday nights and just do that accommodation for themselves. Mm. So that's different from your interstate proposition, isn't it, where it's all taken yep. care of? It's more perhaps a more luxury product, would you say, because it's all included? Mm. Yeah. Mm. It is. It's definitely more luxury. I mean, the accommodation itself is still luxury and so Tasmanians yes, still get that. But it is It is because it's all inclusive. And if you think about a Tasmanian market, they've got their own bikes, they're going to bring their own food. So our offering wasn't going to suit them. So we still have the interstate offering entirely um, and just for Tasmanians it's that simpler 
simple offering. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So how did you get the message out about that offering to Tasmanians? Well, we've had to, you know, to be honest, rethink our entire marketing for interstate and Tasmanians because people are going through a time that we've never been before and are having different thoughts and having different needs. So we've spent a lot of our time thinking about our marketing for both markets. But for Tasmanians, a lot of it has been, okay, we need to have a really strong digital strategy, uh, digital marketing strategy, and really good messaging towards them. So that's what we've done. We've rolled out a really strong digital campaign already, which has been incredibly successful and a bit of PR, to be honest. That's yep. been our kind of two two approaches to get the start of our Tasmanian offering out. Yeah. And what has the start looked like? Because it sounds like you will be busy for the next couple of weekends. So it sounds so funny actually reflecting on this campaign because it is all it's still happening, you know, it's not it's not like we're done and dusted. <laughs> no. We launched it combination only a couple of couple of weeks ago really and so we have we launched for this weekend being the initial um time when restrictions were potentially going to be eased which they are and we are um looking like we've got bookings for already the next um, month and a half and even some scattered longer than that with tasmanians which is just wonderful Mm. (laughs) it is just wonderful and what's it been like talking with Tasmanians? Has it been sort of like, I don't know, getting to know that market more than, I mean, you're Tasmanian, obviously, but uh, what's it been like? It's actually been really great. I think you can have this level of honesty, not that there's not honesty in anything business, but this really different kind of conversation with Tasmanians because, you know, you're on the phone and like, oh, hi, you know, where are you based? I'm, you know, I'm from Sandy Bay. Oh, wonderful. You know, you just have that level of conversation. Familiarity as well. Yeah. 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 And it's been, it's been lovely. We've had people say, I am so glad you've done this. I've been wanting to find out where those pods are for years. (laughs) So, So it's, um, yeah, it's been really nice. It's been really nice. Many of us haven't explored every part of our backyard and it's almost yeah. like this has now given us the opportunity to explore that and and do that when we don't have any opportunity to, to go abroad or to go interstate. Definitely. I From the conversations we're having, I definitely feel like that's what Tasmanians are doing. Um, seeing this opportunity, just as you said, to try something that's been on their list but not at the top of the list. Uh, because something a little bit more shiny or what they felt they could do first has been on the top of the list. And now it's like, wow, let's let's really explore our backyard, which I think people are going to be obviously totally pleasantly surprised because what we have here is amazing. 100%. (laughs) What have you learnt from this, Tara, going through this as a, a business owner, now sort of looking down to a phased recovery? What would what have you learnt? What's it been like for you? What have you learned about yourself and also about business? We've learned a lot, obviously, individually. We've learned a lot um, in business. We've learned a lot. And I think as an industry, there's kind of three levels. We've had a lot of learning. As a business, what this situation has really given clarity for me is how important it is to have focus. What COVID has done for us is it's made us go, okay, what are we doing? Where's the dead wood? You know, where's our focus? And we have unapologetically focused there that's what we're going to do I think when you're in the operations and things all the time you don't get the opportunity to step back Mm. and so that has in some ways been a really a bit of a blessing for us and for I'm sure a lot of operators having a moment to step back and really 
nail their offering. So that's been a, a opportunity and definitely there's been learnings out of that. As an industry, I think, I'm not sure if this is a learning or an observation, but I'm sure everyone has been just so grateful for how wonderful and supportive the industry has been. And it's not a surprise because that's the hub of industry we are. We are based on this incredible generosity where we give so much to our guests in a time like this. I'm not surprised that we're going to give so much to each other. Mm. But that has been really cemented in me as a learning that tourism, we are generous in what we do with our guests and we are generous and kind to each other. That's been a really nice kind of confirming of a learning, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And what have you seen up at Derby? Uh, How's the community come together there? Derby has a really lovely community locally, but in the business uh, community in particular, we have our own little Derby business group and things like that. Mm. And so we've stayed in contact and been communicating throughout and really just talking about our plans and everyone's different plans of opening um, and, you know, how everyone's been going. I think like a lot of communities, whether it's been the industry sector or in location, it's just been about the communication together and talking and keeping in contact. And now as things are opening up, we're all um, having conversations to make sure we're in line, you know, that that the pub's going to be open and that the pizza shop's going to be open if the mountain black and shuttles are going to be open so that the visitor can have a great experience. Mm, yeah, Absolutely. Um, and what about uh, looking forward now to interstate? What are you doing to keep in the minds of your potential customers during this time? I've actually spent a lot of this time, I've, I've actually honestly relearned a couple of new digital marketing approaches. <laughs> I, think, and, um, I think you and a, a number of others as well. I think there's been uh, quite a so, few yeah. people doing that. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, you need to. You need, it's important to, to learn new things. So we've been running we haven't stopped our marketing, put it that way. We've kept marketing through the whole time of COVID and been building our leads and building our database to ensure that once restrictions ease, we are ready and we have hot leads waiting to go. Mm-hmm. So for us, that's been our approach. It hasn't been about standing still and wait until we can go. It's been building them ready now. And that's the same for all our usual marketing streams as well. Um, from a PR perspective, we've been in touch with all journalists and publications and a hot ready to go. So it's kind of, I kind of feel like we've got lots of sizzling plates and at some <laughs> point they're all going to be ready to go and on fire hopefully. So yeah. that's very much been my approach. And that was a big decision because I didn't we didn't know if we should just turn everything off or keep it all going. And so we decided, yeah, we're going to keep it all going yeah. this time. Mm. You've talked a little bit about the fact that um, you made that conscious choice not to go dark, so to speak, during this time from a marketing and social media perspective. Um, and looking at your social media page, you know, it's clear that you put a lot of curation and thought into your posts. Can you take us through how you do that and why you have been framing things in the way you have imagery, etc.? Well, firstly, thanks for noticing because it is a lot of effort put into anyone's social media and I can say that we put a huge amount of effort into ours. It was a big decision for us to keep the conversation going through COVID from our business point of view. And so for us, our social media has, and all of our digital marketing, in fact, has always tried to be really personal. And in times like this, people want even more, we felt, to feel how we're feeling, to know what we're doing and to keep that authentic conversation. So we we kept the conversation going and all our language was on brand but authentic. We used emotions. So we said if we were feeling 
grateful or optimistic and use things like on, on Facebook you can put, you know, whether you're feeling optimistic or feeling grateful or things like that. We applied different imagery and appropriate imagery. We um, even to the point where we actually got a uh, socially distanced photography um shoot to to uh to help us apply the right imagery to what we're trying to say you know we didn't have imagery that was going to suit a pandemic in the past so isn't that interesting I mean things that you would never have thought that you'd possibly do um and thinking right we need to do a socially distanced shoot it's 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 amazing (laughs) yeah yeah It, it is and it is something that I think, again, like we wanted to keep the marketing going, we wanted to keep the conversation going. We felt if we just switched off and we were distanced from our consumers, then they might think, you know, what's happening to that business, what's going on. And so by keeping active and keeping the conversation going, I actually think it's been a benefit to us. Yeah. Hey, you joined the TICT board earlier earlier this year. Is that right? Was it earlier yes, this year? Yes. Oh, time's got away from, away from me. <laughs> Why were you passionate about doing that? Um, I, look, being part of the Tourism Industry Council, I think, and being part of the Industry Council, I think as an operator is really important. You know, like I said before, I believe the tourism industry is an incredible industry to be part of. And I, I wanted to be part of the actual industry council so that I could help really guide our, our industry going forward. I felt that we as an as an operator but also from representing mountain biking it's an important part of our story mm. and if if I didn't step forward then I'm not sure we would have that same voice yep. so that's really was the motivator there yeah so looking forward Tara and you know coming together as a collective as we have during the crisis uh, stage as an industry and we will do going forward what are your hopes and aspirations for our future how would you like to see us come together over the next couple of years to to rebuild and eventually be as a destination in the mm. future another big Look, question for you <laughs> I know great questions I I think I think like everyone I really hope we all grow through this and I feel like from the operators that I'm talking to, there's been so much industry development and opportunities to reflect like a couple of things that I've talked about in a lot of businesses. I feel like we could come out as a very much a, a lot stronger from this. And I do hope and I hope the industry then gets to that point as well and we don't just get back to what we were doing but we actually become better mm. from this, you know, whether that be you know, visitor numbers, but it could be or visitor spend. But, you know, even things about our business models and the, and the approaches we're taking, it could be environmental or it could be our, our client focus. I hope that we find even more improvement. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. To, to learn from, from what we've gone through and, and as you say, be, be, mm. even, be even better. Hey, yeah. when you were able to move around again, where did you go or where are you itching to go or what have you had planned? What have you done? um well you know we we we're one of those like all tourism operators we live outside so I feel I feel like I'm always (laughs) you're always outside and and our workplace is derby so I have been at derby quite quite lucky then yeah I'm quite lucky but definitely on our um list is a trip into the mountains that's also always a place for Steve and I to get out and about and, and obviously the beach as well. East Coast mm-hmm. is on our list too. I think like a lot of people, you're wanting to go and see the ocean again. <laughs> Absolutely. There's something um, very centering about that, isn't there? 
Totally. Oh, Tara, yeah. thank you for joining us and, and thank you for taking us through your own personal journey and your business journey. It's very generous. And yeah, we're thinking about you as you open up to your first Tasmanian guests this weekend and, and hope that demand continues for a little while yet. So thanks again. No, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.